0: la 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 la, anybody a singer out there? Today's guest is voice teacher, coach, singer, actor, writer, speaker, Susan Eichhorn Young. She has a diverse clientele that encompasses emerging artists to establish an award-winning artist in theater music theater, cabaret, opera, TV, and film, as well as speakers and other form of voice users. Located in New York City, Say Voice is in high demand within both the Broadway and operatic communities, and online, she continues to work with clientele worldwide. This is all about using your voice, my friends, and in today's episode, you'll learn how to manage a healthy voice, why there are three voice intangibles, how to relieve tension in the voice, And consciously manipulating your vibration. Plus, stay to the end as Susan teaches us a great vocal relaxation exercise for speakers and singers. You may just want to sing after this episode. This is the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Okay, friends, welcome back to the Nick Demas Show. I'm excited today. I have a friend who I haven't seen in a bit of time, but I'm sure, sure excited that she is with us today. Welcome, Susan.
1: Thank you, Nick. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: We met, I don't even know how many years ago now. I can't, I was trying to think about that, and I don't even know. But we met when we were panelists for a, um, it was like an audition workshop type thing. And what I most remember about you is that you had this incredible holistic approach to the voice and you were kind and generous. Those are my biggest memories of you.
1: That touches me because I felt the same about you. Well, you you approached the artist with such a holistic fullness. And yeah, it was like we were... Old souls that met in a new life. <laughs> I agree. It was like
0: instant. It was instant uh, connection and in chemistry. So yeah,
1: it really was.
0: One of the other things that I love about you is that you work with you work with singers, but you work not only with Broadway singers, you also work with opera, and you work yeah. with speakers, which is yes. something else we have in common. And that we're multi-dimensional, for lack of a better word, we're hyper-hyphenate. We're like you know these multi-hyphenate yes. Yes. creatives, right?
1: Yeah. Many facets, many facets.
0: Right. Right. So back me up, though, to how you got here. I want to go back to where you grew up and all of that good fun stuff. I'm
1: a Canadian girl by birth. Yes, I'm from the Canadian Prairies, and uh, I grew up in a very artistic home. My dad um, was a dramaturg and and director and producer. My mom was an actress before she had the four of us, and uh, some of my earliest memories were carrying the scripts for my dad into rehearsal. Oh, wow. Um, I would be his assistant and, and walk with the grand, you know, he would copy the script and put it all out on bristleboard so he could see an overview literally. And I would carry those like it was some, you know, important book into rehearsal. So I've kind of been in the theater literally since I can remember. And that's kind of where it all started.
0: That's like your whole whole life you've been in the theater. You were born into it, basically. But at a certain point, you had to make a decision, oh, I actually do want to do this. When did that come?
1: Yeah, I... I think it was later in high school. I was trying to make a decision of do I go into music or do I go into journalism? Mm. And um, I had an opportunity to do both and I decided to do the music route and theater route. I've wondered over the years whether that was the right decision. <laughs> Although who knows anymore, right? Yeah, we've well, um, all had those intersect. moments, right?
0: Like you know yeah. where, you, where you, you go, oh, did I make the right choice with my life? Was this, yeah. you know, especially in the the in the the sort of roller coaster of creative entrepreneurship, you have these yes. moments of, oh boy, is the next thing coming, right? And one of the great things that you've done is created sustainability.
1: Yes. And that was, you know, more about, as a performer, what started to happen is some of my castmates or colleagues would begin to ask me about, how do you do that? Or how do I approach this vocally? And so I would begin working and realized, ooh, I love this. I got really passionate about teaching Mm. and discovering. And how do I help this person find everything they have or more of what they have? And so that kind of led me into the teaching aspect of things. And, um, you know, I raised a daughter by myself, basically, too. So that gave me more stability, you know, being a a single mom for many years, instead of just papoosing her around the countryside from one show to the next. It was kind of nice to have a home base. And then that just continued to, to develop. So when I finally moved down to New York... I've been here off and on since the early 90s. I guess 1990 was my first year kind of being present in the city off mm-hmm. and on. But when I was finally here, then it became apparent that, no, I really want to keep this te- This teaching's crucial.
0: What was the decision to move to New York like?
1: I mean, initially it was to study and mm. get into that. And then the move down was because I got married <laughs> and my husband was here. So that's where I decided to come the adaptability that perhaps as artists, that's one of our traits, you know, we have to chameleon and adapt and make things work. And it's like, okay, I'm here. What do I do?
0: Yeah. I hear you. I moved to New York in 1981. So right, right at about the same time. And I had never been to New York before. I literally knew two people in the entire city. I moved in with them briefly in Queens, in Astoria, Uh, I didn't know uptown from downtown. I I was so confused and so, and overwhelmed coming from a small town.
1: Me too, Uh, yeah. It
0: was so, and I was so naive. Oh my goodness, was I naive. (laughs) In a great way, in some ways, right? Because of those values that were instilled in me, those small town values by my parents, but also in ways that were not so great in that I trusted everyone.
1: Mm. Not the best place in the world to start that way. However, <laughs> I think that also is a trait that we have to keep nurturing because it's easy to get jaded really fast.
0: Well, and I did find that, you know, I don't, you yeah. know, right away, a few hard knocks, you get knocked down a couple of times in, in New York City. And then suddenly I found myself very jaded,
1: mm-hmm.
0: almost as a protection, I think.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a different kind of armor for sure.
0: Yeah. And it took some time for that armor to come back off.
1: Oh, yeah. Sometimes the armor comes on and you don't even realize it has. And then you have to make the conscious decision to take it off. Yeah. Right?
0: Exactly. You spoke that far more eloquently than I did, but that's exactly what I was trying to say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I knew that. This is why we we connect.
0: (laughs) So it's the early 90s. You get to New York. You are singing. You have a career. And you begin teaching. At what point did you say, maybe I'm not going to perform anymore? Or do you still perform? I don't actually, I I shouldn't say, when did you decide you weren't going to?
1: No, I mean, it's certainly, it's not that I don't. Um, It's more about opportunity and drive, I guess. I did a one woman show. My first foray back to the stage was several years ago in the before times Uh in a cabaret that I had written because I hadn't been on stage since Thomas, my husband, and I were in this near-fatal car accident in 2011.
0: Okay, that's when I met you. I met that's you right, right after that. That's
1: right. That's right. Yeah. And so that was a, you know, another huge life change. And so I did write a cabaret show um, that it, that evoked that without saying. And in 2011, I was nearly killed by a right. tractor-trailer. You know. And so that was wonderful to get back on stage and do that. And and you know to do that again, absolutely. But. It's not what drives me. The passion is really in the teaching.
0: I so get this. Again, we're like, you know, I'm like, I'm like yeah. you know, looking at you like, okay, okay, I'm here with you because <laughs> I stopped being an actor in the late nineties, 99, I think. And I went on obviously to direct and choreograph and hmm. run businesses and, you know, all the things that, that, that I've done since, but I returned to the stage In 2005. Now, that's the last time I got got on stage. And another reason I wanted to have you on this podcast is because I have such a fear now of singing. Mm. After not having done it for so many years, when I did return, I was so nervous. So incredibly nervous that it was, I was getting stomach aches and I was freaking out. And I realized part of that was that I had had a voice teacher who had done a number on me in my head
1: why is that still so common that's one of my huge I have many pet peeves you know that yeah. <laughs> I rant about them sometimes but that is such I I don't it's not that there aren't other instruments that deal with this mm-hmm. but the voice in particular we we deal with this
0: but why do you think that name?
1: is probably because voice is the intangible and it can be manipulated and it's so intertwined with the psyche, right? And, and, um, and the shadow self that, especially as a young person, we don't really understand mm-hmm. and, and it can be really manipulated by these vampiristic people that we put our trust in.
0: Yeah. I've and been think, there too. I think that's it is I put my trust in this person and, it just did a number on me emotionally, mentally.
1: Mm-hmm. And so I,
0: I stopped singing.
1: Yeah. I know. It's it's horrifying. And that was one of the things because I've I've been there too. And I don't really know anybody it's like I always say, Did you know, many of us survived our undergrad <laughs> or our grad studies, yeah. you know? And it's like, you know, when somebody says, Oh, my grad studies were fabulous, it's like, what were you smoking? Yeah <laughs> during your grad studies. Because it's just, you know, it can be a very toxic environment. And that was another thing that, you know, when I really wanted to focus on philosophy and how I wanted to approach this as a teacher, you know, what did I not want to do? Yeah. What was i going to make sure that did not happen? Yeah. And creating that safe space for an artist to explore and stay curious and not feel it has to be perfect.
0: Yeah. And I think that was part of it is I didn't just didn't feel safe. And so therefore I no longer felt safe with my voice.
1: Yeah. And because that voice is intangible to some degree.
0: Yeah. It always felt that way.
1: Yeah. Then it's frightening when it starts to physicalize all that negativity that shouldn't be associated with that. It's like, wait a second. I love to sing. Why am I scared out of my mind? Yeah. You know, and it's just there's just so much intricacy in the psyche of the singing. And so, you know, I like to simplify. Like I want to simplify all of that. You know, I like to say the voice itself, and you can put that voice in third person and have whatever pronoun it chooses is fine. But where he, she, they choose to reside is not always optimal. So if we focus on the physicality of where the voice can respond, then it gives you permission to observe and develop.
0: Mm, that's powerful because then it's a, almost a spiritual practice, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Like it, it's, it, it transcends the mechanics.
1: Yes. Yes. And then it's not about perfection.
0: Yeah. It's about
1: being real and responding in the moment and having the tools to access the behavior as opposed to feeling like I must sing this way or I must speak this way
0: yeah I think that I at the time didn't have those those skills, right Maybe yeah, it'd be different yeah. coming back sixteen years later right like that might be a it might be a very different experience to sing, and I speak all the time I'm I a speaker, know obviously so I want to talk about that because I know I've got some speakers out there. What are some things that you can do to keep your voice? healthy because i know when i went back and and was was singing i was like oh wow i've got to go back to all of those ways of being that will keep the voice healthy but i want to hear it from you because i think things have changed we know more now Mm -hmm. and you like i said come from this really holistic place so I would love to hear your thoughts on a healthy voice
1: from a physicality standpoint I think the first thing you have to do is throw out all the do not do this, only do this because everybody is different. Yeah. Every physicality is different. Just like if you have food sensitivities, then don't eat those foods. Don't tell everybody that don't drink milk before you sing. Cause you know, I mean, right. I used to eat fried chicken before a show that didn't, bother, you know, like it's whatever makes the best sense. And I think if we think of voice as, Living in your physicality, what does your physicality need to be healthy? Like, just mm-hmm. just from that, rest. I mean, the big one that we, you know, say, yeah, 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 next year I'll sleep. <laughs> if your body's tired, it cannot allow that voice to reside comfortably. If you're not hydrated, some of those, just what seems so basic, but we often slip by, Those kinds of things are so crucial. And, you know, it's like going to the gym. If you haven't been to the gym in six months or stretched in six months, it probably isn't a good idea just to jump right back in and start where you thought you left off, you know?
0: (laughs) I I went to an event recently, and the, the speaker lost his voice midway through. Oh, boy and i realized i was i thought to myself oh yeah not only has he not been sleeping and hydrating because of being this being an exciting event and all that was happening but out of practice
1: absolutely we haven't
0: been speaking i mean we're we're on currently on zoom right this has yes. been our our connection with people period during the last bit of time and so we haven't been using our our instrument the voice in the way that we had before the world changed.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's musculature. Yeah. So it has to be regularly stretched and then learning, you know, again, everybody's physiology is different. Everybody's range of motion is different. Everybody's flexibility is different literally within the whole body, but also laryngically. age will also play into that. And you've got to learn What does my physicality allow me to do? And then what do I need to do to access that fully? And breath. Oh, and breath. And there's another intangible. Like, this is the thing. For singers and speakers, we're dealing with the three intangibles. Vibration you can't see. In muscles you can't see. With breath you can't see.
0: I have never thought of it like that before. That is brilliant.
1: I have decided she says um this is why we often get so neurotic and singers are made fun of of you know you are the most neurotic creatures on the planet i think that's why sometimes because when we're dealing with things that we can't adjust you can't stand in the front of the mirror and reset your your balance mm-hmm. that is part of the issue is trying to how do i make a tangible entity out of these intangibles
0: that explains my entire neuroses about my voice in a breath, where, in, in, in a sentence. Where were you 20 years ago? <laughs> 30 years ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right there with you is where I was. I know. And and one of the big ahas I had is so often we focus on the inhale, we forget to exhale. And it's really more about the exhale because that's what's carrying the vibration of the sound. And then we'll lock up.
0: This is also connecting some dots for me as to why I lean so much into pranayama, breath work, Mm. practice, and learning to sustain for long periods of time holding my breath and both inhalation and exhalation in a controlled fashion. And now I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'd be a much better singer now.
1: (laughs) Yes, you would. And you probably are
0: probably am.
1: Should you decide you wanted to stretch it again. Yeah. You know?
0: How interesting.
1: Because I think everybody can learn to sing. Mm. In the idea of letting vibration be carried by voice, by breath. Learning to sing doesn't mean that you are will be a singer, you know. Right, professionally. Yeah. Right, yeah. It's not the same animal at all. But a lot of actors that come to me that are... TV or film actors, they hold their breath a lot, Mm. you know, because they don't have to project very far. So even if they don't sing, quote unquote, and no one will ever hear them sing, that's what we do together is to say, okay, how can this extend even further? So you start to develop your range of motion in that exhale and in that vibration. So then when you control it all again, you won't hold it back.
0: And subsequently, you are extending your personal vibration.
1: Absolutely. And that's another thing over over the years is the bubble you create of vibration is what keeps you safe. It doesn't yeah. make you more vulnerable. Yeah. And yet we often think that's exactly like if I start singing, I'm vulnerable. Somebody's going to no. know that vibration is what creates your movable and accessible energy force and nobody gets in there unless you give them permission
0: that's good that's really good how would you say that also relates to speakers
1: the vibration doesn't go as far per Mm -hmm. se because it's not sustained in the same way but it's all in the same pattern in an interesting way when i have speakers that work with me and i'll say okay go with me with this one just for a little bit we're going to pitch and we're going to sing and they get freaked out, especially if they've never sung before. Yeah. So this is what I, I like to say. Listen, as a singer, we are given specific pitch and specific duration. As a speaker, you have pitch and duration, but you have to choose those yourself. Mm. So it's actually more complex in a way because you have to choose. And oftentimes as speakers, we don't think of it like that. So all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have a choice as to range and duration.
0: But you do in a way already without consciously being aware of it because you're exactly. telling a story. Yes. And consequently, you're going to change the pitch. You're going to change the volume. You're going to change. You're, you're going to manipulate yeah. your voice yeah. to tell the story.
1: Yes. And so if you are conscious of that, you can work it even more. Yeah, Which is kind of exciting because sometimes it's about, you know, getting somebody out of a monotone. Like how do you, even if it's not, if you're not telling a story that's yours or, you know, if you're doing a presentation at work with your PowerPoint and whatever, so people aren't falling asleep in front of you, your voice is not lulling them. How do you tell that story within the context of that? It's possible. By learning what that voice does.
0: There's nothing worse than listening to somebody talk like that, right? It it just bores you. And if you want to be dynamic, if you want to make impact, if you want to make a difference, it requires the use of the voice.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that you are conscious of it. Because some people naturally have it, Mm -hmm. but you can still become conscious of it so you make certain choices that are stronger and, and also keep you physically healthy and vocally healthy going back to that how do you support that um, so that you don't lose your voice or you don't start getting gravelly or you wake up and you're full of phlegm what do you do you know how do you move past that what exercises work for your body to stretch that out and some people who are monotone they don't even know they are Right. Nobody would choose that, <laughs> I don't think. I mean, it's, choose it's a char- to be <laughs> Yes, unless it was a character choice for something. Right. But, you know, it is then learning how to listen and sense your voice from within in order for it to respond in the space between the people that you're speaking with.
0: Hmm. That's really good. So when somebody comes to you, and let's say they have some vocal damage. Hmm. What do you do? Like, where do you even begin?
1: We begin with the breath, always with the breath, that damn breath. That's where it is. And I mean, you know, I, I think back, of, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old, and you're working with a teacher and we're going to work on the breath and you can, you know, your eyes just roll. It's like, yeah. I just want to sing. We don't realize the importance of that, but it really does come down to that. I mean, as actors and as speakers and as human beings, there is subtext in breath. You know, my daughter used to say that if you can hear my mom breathe a certain way, duck. (laughs) There's a pot coming towards your head, I'm sure. Um, But it's an interesting thing because we all know that you hear someone inhale that you know really well or exhale and you know, or, you know, you'll you'll say, what, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Because you sense that subtext. And that's where it has to begin. So often vocal damage. And again, it depends on what it is. Um, If it's muscle tension, it's, it's about moving the breath and finding range of motion and flexibility in the body and in wherever that is. It could be laryngeal, it could be supportive, it could be, you know, energy centers that aren't lined up. And it's not about trying to change somebody, but find out how they balance their own physicality with that breath flow. Balancing the energy. Yeah. There's not one right way to do that. We don't all stand the same way. you know. I mean, that was one thing, too, after the car accident. I had to breathe my parts together quite literally, and they don't fit quite the same. But I'm suddenly not going to say, but then now I can't breathe or now I can't sing. No, I have to find a different way to make those parts work together. Hmm. And so if there's been damage... And there might be a way to repair that. It won't be the same as it was, perhaps, but it could actually be better in an interesting way.
0: I love that you say that there isn't one way because, you know, I mean, marketers out there say this is the way, this is the best way. That's part of what they do to market themselves as the guru or the teacher or the Hmm. whoever, right? But I love that you actually embrace the idea that there isn't just the way, because I know and you know, going to these teachers, you've been to them, and you're like, but that way doesn't work for me.
1: Well, exactly. And that's when you are made to feel rightly or wrongly, consciously or unconsciously, that you've done something wrong. Yes. And it's absolutely false.
0: Yeah, it's something that I've really been conscious of in my business, moving out of that patterning in the way in which I market myself, the way in which I teach, of taking out that shame, even in in the verbiage.
1: Yes, absolutely. And it's so easy to fall into that because it's so ingrained in our psyche from way, way, way long time ago.
0: Totally, for all of these years.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And I have to catch myself.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Because it's easy to fall into that repetitive motion. So changing those behaviors then changes the space between you and and the client all the time. And that's what I, I mean, I really believe the idea is not for the client or the student to find me, but for me to find them. Mm. And then I can reflect back to them what they need to see Mm -hmm. in order to find the best of them.
0: That's taking the mirror to another level. You know, we're a mirror for our students, right? that's taking it to the entire next level. I really love that you just said that. And any of you that are coaches, teachers, healers out there, take wind of that. Listen to that. That's beautiful.
1: It's such a crucial part because I think, again, so many... Artists and speakers who are artists in their souls because it's how you live your life, not necessarily what you do with that, right? Right. Um, but that it it is a, if I start to work with someone, is that going to change me? You know, are they going to change my voice? You know, because I felt like that too. Mm. I knew what I could do. I knew what I couldn't do. But I didn't need someone to tell me I couldn't do what I do because they decided they didn't understand that. So it was wrong. And so I I see that a lot. I see that a lot in the Broadway community, actually, where singers are scared to have a voice lesson, because they're scared that that teacher is going to try to change them. And they still have to do work.
0: Right. I can completely relate to that. Because as I was going through this sort of change with this teacher I was speaking of, and it was really like, we're going to strip you. Mm -hmm. I was doing a show at night and I didn't even know if I had a voice anymore. Exactly. I didn't know how to sing at all. It went from, you know, whatever it was that I was offering to this, this other way that just wasn't working for me. And I was lost.
1: Yeah. And it's, yes, I've been there too. It's horrifying. It's, I mean, that to me is a spiritual crime.
0: Yeah. And that's what it felt like.
1: My job is to keep you healthy and keep exploring what your physicality and your psyche know how to house that voice together so that you keep finding what that voice does and what you want to do with it, not to change it in a negative way. There should never be about that.
0: And do you see a difference or do you approach people different? Well, I I already knew the answer to the question, because it's going to go back to the individual. But I was going to say between the Broadway community and the opera community.
1: Yeah, I mean, the culture is so different. Yeah. And sometimes I, not sometimes, all the time, I wish we could smush them together a little bit more. Where, you know, in the music theater and theater community tends to be, just because everything happens so quickly, put in rehearsals, Mm -hmm. covers swings, whatever, boom. It's never fully learned. It's never fully in the body. Yeah. And it's a little fly by the seat of your pants. Yeah. And so sometimes I will get a panic call from someone saying, I need to be able to, you know, sing this note tonight. Really? Do I look like I have glitter and unicorn poop to throw all over you? This does not happen. You know, that would be like saying, I need to do a double pirouette and I've never been able to do one, you know? So that's that, I mean, obviously extreme example, but then on the other side in the operatic world, it's like, you need permission to pee. Like you can't do anything on your own. Yeah. And so I have had singers in the past come into the studio for the first time, sing one note and stop. And it's like, what, why did you stop? Oh, I thought you were going to stop me and, and correct it.
0: Oh, wow.
1: It's that extreme. So I would like to be able to perhaps bring a little more of the discipline in the operatic world into the theater world and a little bit more freedom to play from the theater world into the operatic world. And so, you know, that's what I kind of feel like. I have a stiletto in both both worlds, and I, I like to try to bring a little bit of that into the studio with me, with everybody.
0: Well, and I, you know, it's interesting that you said that word freedom, because I don't think that I ever felt fully free in my voice, Mm -hmm. the way that I did maybe in my body as a dancer. Right. And part of that was I never could get past sort of like being a functional singer. It was like I was just functioning. I never got to that place where I was being stylistic, where I could lean into the, you know, the genre of what I was singing, it just always felt like I was at that surface level, just trying to get by. And part of that is because of that quickness that you were talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So I want to hear a bit about how you balance that, like, function of the voice versus all the stuff that you can, the layers that you can add on to it.
1: I mean, that happens over time, but it also happens depending on the person in front of you. You know, because some people are very innately, I'll use myself as an example, I would not say that I am a natural singer, in that I had a lot of physical problem or issues that I had to work out for my voice to really function the way it should. But I was very much a musical singer. Mm. I could access style and genre, and sometimes to the detriment of the voice. And then there are other people that have a magnificent natural instrument but maybe don't access the style and genre comfortably. So this is how I like to use as an example. When you're working function, it's like your voice in its underwear. You haven't dressed it yet. So you got to get comfortable because we all know if you are dressed for the red carpet and your underwear doesn't fit properly, you can't wait to get home and change. But Mm. you still look great. So you can kind of be hiding in plain sight. So what I want to be able to do is help you get that voice aligned functionally so you can trust it and then accessorize to your heart's content with style and genre. And then you begin to play and say, no, I'm going to change the tie. No, I'm going to change the socks. No, I'm going to add this jewelry, you know, um, so that that then gives you permission to not worry about will the voice function. The voice will be fine. What do you want to do with that word? how do you want to shape that phrase? Where do you want to go in this story? How far is too far? Let's just tip over the edge and then bring it back and say, okay, that was too far. We just won't take that extra step next time.
0: Oh, I like that a lot because it does come back to the story.
1: It sure does.
0: What story are you telling?
1: Yeah. No matter whether you are playing a character and honestly, even with speakers, you are playing a character.
0: You are absolutely playing a character as a And speaker.
1: sometimes playing you the character is harder than if you were given a script. Understood. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hardest part, you know, is because there's another level of vulnerability, I guess, in that.
0: Yeah, there is. It's a different vulnerability, I guess yeah. I would say. Yeah. 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 And that was a huge transition for me the first time I got up to speak. I could just feel the clenching around my my throat and, you know, that frog in your throat thing. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, yeah. and again, it was all about the breath, but it was just that tension just yeah. rose in me. So what advice do you have for anybody who's out there, maybe about to speak for the first time and how to, what are, what are some tips or tools or anything that you could offer them that could give them some sense of relief?
1: I will give you an exercise that is tangible. So one of the things, and nerves can be a good thing because it heightens awareness, right? But we often consider it a negative thing because it can constrict. And so our bodies don't know it's 2021. It goes into primordial fight or flight. And so we need to calm that nervous energy, and so one of the things that i pass on to speakers and singers too and you know if if you're in a holding room and you hear these noises there's a good chance this is what's happening i use a french je or a hungarian jaja whatever you like to use and the just sensation if you just buzz on it and you'll feel it deep in what i call the laryngical martini glass, because that's really what we're kind of shaped like a martini glass, right? Oh, I love it. So drop the zh where the olives live and just vibrate on it.
0: Zh. Z- Z-
1: you feel how it shivers?
0: I do, yeah. It's,
1: it's massaging the split of the vagus nerve, which is your fight or flight.
0: Oh, wow. That's interesting. And
1: so it immediately, organically, and very, very gently starts to wake up the exhale which means you've got to breathe again. And so just by pitching that very low, zzz, and inhale and do it again, it's going to drop you into your body.
0: Oh, that is really good. You are amazing. That is really, really good. A
1: little zhuzh can go a long way.
0: A little zhuzh. <laughs>
1: And sometimes, you know, for, for those of you who are trying this, if you can't make that sound, it's simply because there's tension in the muscles that govern the release of that. Mm. So you can then change it just to an exhale of breath, like on an SH. Shh, very gently. And then move from an SH into a shh, gradually if you can't mm. actually make that sound right away. And the SH, I think, the SH out always, it's like shea butter for all that musculature, it's just going to moisturize everything and give some suppleness for you to then access the toning of that. And those two things, like prior to just walking on stage, can just drop you into the present tense of your body.
0: Or before your next audition, clearly.
1: Exactly. And it then you're not lip-trilling to the ceiling before yeah. you walk in the room. Yeah. And it's quiet, no one hears you, and it just grounds you.
0: Yeah, because again, for me, it was about the nerves. Oh, it wasn't yeah. about the, the capacity to sing. It was about no. the nerves, about being able to control my nerves when I would walk in the room.
1: Absolutely. And then you don't even remember how you got in the room. Yeah. What happened? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> Ask the people there because I don't remember a thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I have many of those out-of-body experiences that I don't remember. So yeah. been there, done that.
0: So this this will take you into your body, which is really everything, yeah. truly.
1: And then it integrates right away. It starts to wake up that ex. Because a lot of times people will say, oh, I need to breathe already. Exactly, because you just used it. The whole idea is to use your breath, not to hold it back. And this will gently massage that balance in.
0: So this tip we will definitely get people started, but I know that they're going to want to know more from you. You teach both in person and online now.
1: I do. And I kicked and screamed my way into that. And so I can say that that it really is effective. I didn't think I would be able to do it. And I found really great strides in in the online work. So yes, online.
0: So anyone around the world, no matter where you are, you want to sing? You want to enhance what you already do as a singer or as a speaker want to come and train. Because it is, it's like a marathon when you're yeah. when you're a oh, speaker. Yeah. It you
1: know? really is.
0: It really, yeah. really is. How can they find you?
1: They can find me on my website. And, and it's easy. S-E-Y dot F-Y-I.
0: Oh, I like that. S-E-Y dot F-Y-I. F-Y-I.
1: F-Y-I. Yes. And you can contact me through the website, and I will get back to you.
0: Well, thank you for sharing your wisdom, because you are a very wise human. And your big heart. I love connecting with always. And um, also, that last tip is like so powerful, and I can't wait to try it myself. Those of you out there, be sure to let us know.
1: What yes, your, please. What yeah. your,
0: your takeaway is: Are you you're on the Instagrams?
1: I am on the Instagrams at sey voice.
0: Sey voice. So let us know. Any final thoughts before we head out today?
1: I'm just honored and thrilled to be with you. This is something I've been looking forward to. Me too. So thank you. It's such a good
0: conversation. <laughs> thank you so very much. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to write us a review on iTunes. They really do matter. And also, of course, reach out to both Susan and I and let us know your biggest takeaway from today's episode. Thank you so very much.